Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today, we're continuing our coverage of the Star Wars Rebels TV show. We're talking about season two, episodes 11, 12, and 13, as well as probably a little bit about the Book of Boba Fett, which has just ended at the time we are recording this. But this may come out in like three weeks, so we'll see. Either way, it's going to be a lot of fun with myself, Riki, and Sarah Hayashi. All that after commercial break that the Pikes might have control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host, uh, joined by both Riki and Sarah. Uh, last week, Sarah was not able to join us. Glad you're feeling a little better. Yes, thank you. I am also glad. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, well, last week, uh, we're going to jump into um, we're going to jump into Star Wars Rebels. And for those of you who have not seen Book of Boba Fett yet, we will have a spoiler section about it right now. I will put in the show notes when we finish talking about Boba Fett. So if you want to skip ahead. Uh, but those who have seen all of Boba Fett, uh, Sarah, we didn't get to hear your thoughts on it last time. What do you, what do you think of Bo- Book of Boba Fett? I like it a lot. I'm like super jazzed about all these new live action shows. And mm-hmm. I just really like the way that Boba Fett is tying in like rebel stuff, Clone Wars stuff. Um, instead of just kind of like branching off in its own direction. I don't, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, good times. I thought, <laughs> and I mean, I, I like the Mandalorian, so I'm glad that we got the Mandalorian season three in there for a little bit. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Anytime I get to see Grogu is a good time. Pour one out for you? Cad Bane. Oh, yeah. Oh, I have Cad Bane thoughts. <laughs> I. So someone has pointed out that you can see like his machinery still working just a little bit at the very end of the show. And clearly they're on a planet where like death is pretty much irrelevant because like they can put mods in you, which brings you back from the dead. Uh, plus they have back to tanks. So I- I'm hoping we haven't lost Cad Bane because you know, part of why I wanted to talk about Boba Fett with you both is because so much of Boba Fett is referencing things from the Clone Wars, from Rebels. And... I gotta say, like, I loved Cad Bane at the end of last episode. I thought he was even better this episode. But especially, and this this we're talking about since we all watched uh, the Clone Wars TV show together, I really appreciated that they referenced Cad Bane's history with Boba Fett. You know, because Clone War, like, in Clone Wars, we see, like, you know, tween Boba Fett, basically, like, learning to be a bounty hunter, and Cad Bane kind of teaching him, but in that, like, hey, kid, like, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Here's what not to do to not get screwed over by someone like me again. Uh, yeah, so how, how do you all feel about that? Yeah, I mean, my... I know y'all talked about the last episode, last episode. Um, but I was disappointed that Boba Fett's voice wasn't drollier and hat wasn't larger. Um, but this episode, I think, like, the the voice actor seems to slip in and out of it, which, like... Do you mean Cad Bane? Cad Bane, yes, yeah. Okay. Um, and, like, they got rid of the vocal modulation that was present in Clone Wars, and I think they got rid of it in Rebels, too. We haven't seen Cad Bane pop up mm-hmm. yet. But, yeah, I was, like, there were... St- <laughs> we went back, and I was, like, this moment, he sounds like Cad Bane. This line, he doesn't sound like Cad Bane. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I agree. I totally loved the reference to, like, I knew you when you were a kid, and Bob was like, you're an old man then, and you're an even older man now. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think it's okay to let go of Cad Bane at this point because mm-hmm. of that. Like, he's an old man. He's really a relic of the past. Um, yeah. I, I think the only thing that really disappointed me about the Cad Bane stuff was that he didn't have a moment with Fennec Shand, who those yeah. two faced off during the Bad Batch and had a pretty epic fight Mm -hmm. so i they kind of acknowledge each other but never really say anything about that right yeah and like 
I don't know, like you're saying, like, death doesn't really seem super relevant. Um, but mm-hmm. also, like, Cad Bane might be an old man, but, like, do we know the lifespan of his species? Like, old is, right. is kind of like a relative mm-hmm. term, especially when you have 50-year-old Grogu as baby, mm-hmm. right? Um, and also, like, Riki and I were talking over dinner. I mean, Cad Bane could have all his vital organs in his kneecaps, for all we know, right? Like, right. it's very easy to say, like, being stabbed in the chest was just sort of superficial damage because of yeah. X, Y, Z. I- I agree. Like, in terms of story, I think it's fine if we let go of him. It They clearly did so much work to bring him to live action mm-hmm. that it would feel kind of a waste to have him so little. I do think it's also possible, you know, we now know that May 25th we're going to get the Kenobi show. And Cad Bane and Kenobi certainly, like, butted heads quite a lot. And we're going to have, like... Granted, we're going to have the whole Hayden Christensen of it all. I don't think that's going to be the whole show by any means. And we know Kenobi's going to be on Tatooine while the Huts are still very much alive and well. So, yeah, I, I think Cad Bane coming back in some Star Wars. I don't think this is the last we're going to see live action Cad Bane. I think we might see him in like in kind of a you know historical flashback type thing mm-hmm. like Kenobi. Yeah, well, um, it's, okay. Is Kenobi happening contemporaneously? Like, it's not happening no, so what does that like, even mean? Okay, like so, the current, like to, in the same timeline as Mandalorian and Bad Batch. No, so so Bad here's Bad. kind of the yeah here's the yeah, dates okay. like oh right clone, <laughs> everything gets dated to the Battle of Yavin yes Yavin I don't want to get Yavin so like Clone Wars starts like 23 years before the Battle of Yavin ends like 20 years before because Luke's about 20 by the time of the Battle of Yavin um, Rebels is set like. From four Battle of Yavin, Yavin into like one Battle of Yavin. We see and... the Battle of Yavin in oh, not Clone Wars. Sorry, keep going. You're good. Rebels. Right here yeah. we go. <laughs> Rebels is set. Uh, Rebels is set at the very end of that period and comes right up until the kind of Rogue One, A New Hope period, and then Kenobi is going to be set while Kenobi is on Tatooine watching over Luke. Okay. So it could be. It could basically be any time from, you know, the day after. Um, Revenge of the Sith when Kenobi has landed on Tatooine to the day before Kenobi finds grown-up Luke in A New Hope. So it's going to be somewhere in that period, but definitely it's going to be before this whole Mando era. Okay, yeah, yeah. I completely spaced that he is dead now. Keeping track of who's alive and who's dead and who, like, is old enough and who's young enough. Like, even... Mm -hmm. I know we're going to get to this when we start talking about Rebels proper, but, like, seeing Leia as, like a 16 year old i was like oh yeah right 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 she's a kid now right sure yes right like, yeah it's a little it's, it's it's a little confusing and part of me wishes they would just like tell the story com- but like i kind of get what they're doing and there's so and much I, to tell right yeah well and i was watching something about how um the uh, the, the kevin smith podcast which is actually amazing fat man on bat or fat man beyond is now called <laughs> mark bernard is kind of i think really the star of it even more than kevin smith and he's so good at writing and theories he's the guy who kind of helped come up with the idea for Miles Morales. And, and uh, the, uh, JT, the guy who owns the Star Wars bar they record at, who also takes part in the discussions, he made the point that in many ways, like, Filoni with the Clone Wars kind of fixed the prequel movies. Mm-hmm. And that there's some extent to which, with this era now, they're kind of, like, doing some of the groundwork to help make the sequels make more sense. Um, which I really liked. And... The, and there's an interesting discussion that they had that we're not going to get your thoughts on, and then we can move on to these actual episodes. Because Mark Bernard was making the point that I think I largely agree with of, yes, it's good to have, like, to start showing that Luke isn't perfect and, like, Luke is not, like, you know, 
the the demigod of the extended universe so that to help set up where he becomes in last jedi but so much of his story was that you know yoda and obi-wan told him don't have attachments but it was his attachment to his sister his attachment to han and then his attachment to his father that did everything and so to have him like turn around and be like no grogu you can't have attachments seems really dumb JT's point, though, was, and I don't know if I agree with this, but I could see it's an interesting way to read it, that what if Luke gives Grogu the choice because he wants Grogu, because he's like, I want to put Grogu in the same position that Yoda put me. I want Grogu to choose to go to Bespin. You know, I want Grogu to choose not to stay in train. Like, that that feels like a very optimistic reading of it, but if if that's actually what they're building to, I'd love that. Because then that, that feels much more proper for what Luke should have learned. In the original movies. Yeah. I I agree that that is an optimistic reading. If that's mm-hmm. what it ha- <laughs> happens. Groovy. Um, but I think like just having Ahsoka there. Talking. Like preventing um, Mando from going and seeing Grogu. Just being like can't have attachments bud. Yeah. Like sort of highlights how. Yeah. And, and like how entrenched. I guess they are in the Jedi cult. I'm going to I'm going to start calling it. Because mm-hmm. like. I don't know. I've been thinking about this a lot. And like they like again, Kanan makes some sort of reference to not knowing his parents in these episodes we're about to talk about. And it's like they take kids from their parents before they even know their parents. So they don't form attachment to their parents and then start telling them that like loving people will turn you evil. Like if that's not a cult, I don't know what is like. And so, I mean, I know that Luke didn't grow up in it, but like having Ahsoka around as the sort of guide as to what the Jedi should be. I can definitely see Luke taking like hints from her, especially as a friend of her, of his dad. Right. As to like, this is how the Jedi should act. This is how you should teach Jedi. And like giving him the choice, I think is maybe that reading that, that you're getting of like, he learned about attachments. So Mm -hmm. he's giving him the choice, but I don't necessarily fully buy in that he wants him to go to best. Yeah. I get, and I think it was like, to me, Ahsoka is the part that's hardest to swallow about that because she left the Jedi Mm -hmm. in part because she thought their rules about attachments were so dumb. And like, maybe she watches Anakin fall. And so that makes her think she was wrong or something. But yeah, it just, from Ahsoka especially, it felt so wrong. Because it felt like this was everything she didn't like about the Jedi. Mm -hmm. You know, she kind of said to Grogu, like, I don't want you to become a Jedi. I won't, I can't be, make you a Jedi because they're going to do all these things that I don't agree with, but. Yeah. Who knows? I think there also has to be like big feelings around leaving an organization because you don't agree with them and then having literally everybody in that organization, well, practically everybody in that organization that you've known slaughtered. I feel like that probably creates some some conflicted feelings within Ahsoka because like, how could it not? Yeah. Yeah. We might uh, talk about that towards the uh, end of one of these rebel seasons at some point in time. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) Uh, Riki, any last thoughts on that or the parts of Boba before we jump into these episodes? Well, you mentioned that Cad Bane could be on Kenobi. Uh-huh. I'm just going to come and say that... <clears throat> excuse me. I'm going to come out and say that I 100% expect that. Because yeah. Darth Vader as a villain on that series cannot work in a direct way. Like They can't keep butting heads and having lightsaber duels because that's not... You know what? What ends up happening with those two characters? It, it's possible that they may have an encounter some at some point, not on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do expect Cad Bane to show up and be more of like a primary antagonist for Obi Wan yeah. be, 
because we we've seen in the Clone Wars that Cad Bane can hold his own against Jedi, and you need yeah. that level of threat as well. Yeah, I, I, like I agree. I mean, even putting aside my own feelings about Hayden, like I agree that like if the whole show is Obi Wan versus Darth Vader, like that undercuts so much of what comes next. And yeah, and I, to me, one of the biggest like mistakes of Boba Fett is to just as you put it, Ricky, just fridge the Tuskins and never bring them back in any way. Uh, Mark Bernard was actually saying like w- one thing that would have been great in these last couple episodes is instead of like the Tuscan becoming combat fodder, you know. Boba has to go to like another group of Tuscans and like, you know, explain why he thinks they should be a part of this fight. And like a lot of it would have to be some like him really acknowledging how much he screwed up with the Tuscans and getting them killed and stuff like that. That given that we had nothing more of the Tuscans in this show and and that the Tuscan Kenobi's relationship with the Tuscans is a central part of the Kenobi novel, which is not officially canon, but my understanding is it's going to be very like they're drawing from it. I have to imagine there's going to be stuff with Tuscans, which to me means like there's going to be stuff with like battling the like, crime families on Tatooine. And yeah, Boba, uh, Cad Bane being a part of that. Or, I mean, who loved to flirt with Obi-Wan Kenobi more than Mr. Hondo and Akka? So, you know. Yeah. Ariki asked might... me, he's like, who from the Clone Wars would you most like to see in live action? And like without even a second, it's just Hondo and Akka. He's like, oh, that was. Easy question. Oh, yeah. I need me some Honda. I was so hoping that he was going to fly in. Because, <laughs> like, there's the Weequay barquen- bartender who, like, mm-hmm. when Cobb Vanth gets shot, kind of, like, goes back to call somebody. And I'm like, oh, please be calling your old pirate boss, Hondo Onaka. But, alas, it was not to be. I'll admit I'm very nervous. I love Hondo so much. And I feel like if he, like, you could screw... So much of his comedy works with the fact that these shows are kind of, like, on a much more, like, family-friendly mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. That a part of me doesn't know if they would fit with his tone, but if you could make it fit, I will just love everything forever. Yeah. So. And I think there is, like, like, Hondo Onaka is a character in the, like, Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland, which is very, very child-friendly, right? So I think, right. like, you can't... I mean, I don't. I guess I don't. You've got like Maleficent, who's like murdering kids, so I maybe shouldn't say that. But yeah, I feel like keeping him more lighthearted. I totally agree. Right. Is is necessary? That one episode where he like kidnaps the Jedi younglings is mm-hmm. weirdly out of character for him and feels strange. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, talk about Rebels. Um, we'll jump right into Episode Eleven, Legacy. I'll read this plot summary. Ezra has a vivid dream about his parents, which he is convinced is a vision which will lead him to discover their fate in a vision. I I added the last in a vision. Uh, (laughs) Hera and Kanan reveal that they have secretly spent months investigating Imperial prisons and have heard about a recent prison break. As the ghost prepares to return to Lothal to investigate Ezra's visions, the Imperial fleet arrives at Garrel based on the intelligence from the Seven Sisters probe droid. Ezra and Kanan escape to Lothal in the Phantom, while the ghost remains behind to assist the escape of the rebel fleet. On Lothal, Ezra follows a Lothcat, which appeared in his dream to prisoner X-10, one of the escapees who is the former governor of Lothal, Ryder Azadi. Azadi tells Ezra that his parents heard his broadcast and it inspired them to organize the prison break in which he had escaped. However, Ezra's parents had been killed during the breakout. Uh, I'm going to just point out, uh, 
the actual line in the show is, but Ezra's parents were lost during the breakout because it's one more like, we didn't see the bodies, so <laughs> I don't know. Um, while saddened at his parents' death, again, I think Ezra's sad, well, maybe. Uh, but anyway, back to the summary says, while saddened at his parents' death, Ezra takes solace in that they had heard his message and Kanan comforts him by telling him that his parents can live on inside of him. Yeah, so uh, what would you think? Um, yeah, so, I mean, the, the the parents' death of it all. Um, mm-hmm. Like, we do get, like, Ezra says, my parents are dead, aren't they? And Ryder mm-hmm. says, like, I'm sorry, son. So if, like, we're yeah, believing Azadi, then, like, he witnessed them die. But, yeah, I agree. There's still, like, yeah. wiggle room there. You're correct. Azadi thinks they're dead. Yes. But, but it's, again, it's a, like, we, we haven't, haven't seen, seen the, the bodies. Body, yeah. so. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I don't know. I liked this episode. I liked the Matrixy kind of Alice in Wonderland fall the white loft cat um, mm-hmm. implications. I I mean, I liked Ryder Azadi. Who's who's the voice actor? Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown. One of the absolute yeah. goats of voice acting, right up there with you know Mark Hamill and Dee Bradley Baker. He has been in everything. Uh, my favorite is his Lex Luthor. In the Justice League and Superman TV series cartoons, mm-hmm. I just started watching Voltron, the new Voltron comic, and he's in the Voltron TV show, and he's in that new. It's very old by this point, but yeah, okay. he's great. Um, he's got a good voice. I, I still need you to call it new. I grew up watching Voltron <laughs> okay. in the eighties, so like, yeah, but I hear you. The newest Voltron. Yes. I, I definitely like this episode. I like this episode. It's not one of my favorites, but I think there's a lot of fun in it. Um, I'm forever going to call them law cats. I know that they're loth cats and I have to remember that. Um, yeah, I think there's just a lot of like fun little like details that we learn, you know, finding out that because the last time we heard about Ezra's parents, you know, even back then, Kanan and Harrow were trying to be like, look, just you know, you can't think about them. We got to just let them go. And so finding out that like they don't want to tell him because I don't want to get him excited yet, but that they have been like searching for this information I, that was a really nice moment. That was a really nice, like, they really care about this kid. They really want to help him and, like, find out if they can help. Oh, totally. And, like, even beyond that, like, they say, like, Ezra asks, like, why didn't you tell me you were doing this? Mm-hmm. And they said, like, you didn't want to know. So we were, like, respecting your wishes there. You said you right. weren't interested in hearing about this. But, like, we realize your parents are important to you. So we're not just going like, right. to give up on that. Yeah. This show to me is all about family Mm -hmm. right the found family Mm -hmm. of this crew yeah and this episode is very important because i think it's it's the moment when Hera and kanan become ezra's parents because he's lost his his biological parents yeah yeah what gets me the most is like when ezra says like my parents are dead aren't they i think the expectation is like yes they died Years and mm-hmm. years and years ago, before, like, j- during some right. sort of attack. Where it's like, yeah, they died a week ago, <laughs> right? right? And I feel like that's so much more heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, there's something nice about, like, his parents heard his message and that's what inspired them to break out. But knowing that, like, they were alive this whole time and, like, you missed them by that much is just yeah. crushing. I don't know. Well, and that he inadvertently led to their cause of their death mm-hmm. right yeah it's such a hard thing but but it, but it's such a like he gave them a chance to do what they most wanted to do mm-hmm. you know i mean i imagine if you like they probably would wanted to like do anything they could to see ezra but if you went to his parents and said would you rather stay 30 years in this imperial jail 
Or would you rather lead a prison break in which all these people are going to escape, but the two of you are going to die? I don't think they spend any time worrying about that. They're like, cool, sign us up. Yeah, you know? totally, totally. I agree. Especially if they're like, our, my own, our own son is is doing this and inspiring us, so... Yeah, right. And I think like they probably got great comfort from realizing like they ra- they raised Ezra in such a way that he is inspiring rebellion, right? Like that's mm-hmm. they they did their job right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I I just have to. I think you're so right about this being the moment where like they become his parents. I I just I don't want to keep harping on this, but like part of again why the Ahsoka thing bothers me so much is because to me so much of what this show is about is Kanan and Ezra showing that you can be very powerful light side force users with very strong attachments. Kanan is married. They basically have a son. Ezra now is like has parents. And so, A, I think it's a really fun thing to look at, but it also is like, Ahsoka is seeing all this. How can she still think attachments are wrong? Uh, Anyway, but yeah, go go ahead. Yeah. Oh, this is like little like light boba spoilers. But yeah. Um, Mm Yeah. No, I, okay, I don't know if Kanan and Hera are, like, officially married, but, yeah, they're definitely a couple, right? They're, like, right. in a committed long-term relationship, um, even though they don't say it out loud. But, yeah, it's so, like, hearing Kanan talk in this episode about how, like, Ezra's all upset because he's close to his parents and he just wants to go get them as soon as possible. Um, mm-hmm. And Kanan's like, maybe let's not just run into getting our heads chopped off by these uh, Inquisitors, please and thanks. And like Ezra's lashing out at Kanan, says like, you don't know what this feels like. And Kanan's like, yeah, I don't. I never knew my parents. And I think yeah. like, <laughs> right, like that, that hits hard. Because uh-huh. um, like, right, like like I said in the spoilersy section, like the Jedi took Kanan away from his parents before he knew his parents. Um. And, and yeah, being like growing up, being told like love equals evil. Yeah. All right. I feel like that's a lot to unlearn. And like Kanan clearly has overcome that. Ezra didn't have to grow up with that. Um, so yeah. And it's like, I think, I think like the Jedi in a sense are right in that like attachments make you stronger. And I think like that's the worry. Like you're going to become too strong. And strong, bad, mm-hmm. right? Like, if you become too strong yeah. and you become bad or evil, then that's just, like, really horrible. So it's, I don't know. But, like, you can become, you can be attached and become very strong for the light side as well. But I don't think they're, like, acknowledging that. They're just, like, worst case scenarioing it. The the worry of the Jedi Order is what plays out in Revenge of the Sith. Mm. Is, right. is what Anakin was willing to do to save Padme. I mean, literally right. destabilize the galaxy right. for for his it, one love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you see, you see it in in both those movies because it's both the his attachment to his mother is so strong that when she dies, he goes full on genocidal, you know, revenge, ragey. But somehow Padme still loves him. Uh, and then, yeah, as you said, with you know, Revenge of the Sith, that it's that. You know, and I like I remember once hearing a Catholic priest talk about like why priests are not supposed to marry. And and there was this thing about like you're supposed to like have love for all you're you're supposed to instead of loving an individual human, you're supposed to love all of humanity. And it just like I always saw it as kind of like, yeah, critique of like why that's dumb, you know, <laughs> in the same way, like for this. And um Yeah, and so I I just I love seeing these attachments grow and I love seeing that it's not a source of temptation or a source of 
of evil and downfall. Yeah, like Anakin seems like the corneriest of corner cases, right? Where like, yeah, yeah, one guy did, but I mean, like Obi Wan was in love with Satine, and he never murdered an entire race of folks. Right. I mean, to put it in the words of the other star franchise i think the jedi philosophy is that the good of the many outweigh the good of the one or the needs of the one yeah right, right. so and we saw and, that in the clone wars when um i think barris afi and ahsoka were trapped underground and mm-hmm. her barris afi's master was like oh well if they're lost they're lost and like <laughs> We had to continue with the war effort. And Anakin was like, no, yeah. we were, we were going right. to do everything we can to save them. Mm-hmm. And, and like the thing is, there's an extent to which I get that, you know, like there's an extent to which like, you know, if you are if you are a trained professional whose job is to rescue people, you know, and then there's a situ- like, you know, you're a fire person and like, you know, I, I, I've spoken to fire people about this exact situation. It's like, this is why you're not supposed to work in situations where you're personally connected to people. Mm-hmm. Because if like, there's five people burning to death in one room and your wife is burning to death in the other, of course you're going to go rescue your wife. But you shouldn't. You should go and rescue the most people. And like, that's the whole point is we don't want people, you know, that's why you accuse yourself from situations that you have a personal connection to. Mm-hmm. And I, I will also say, and I'm, I'm a couple books behind. I want to, some, I'm going to finish the High Republic books and then we're going to do an episode about it because from, from what I'd read of the High Republic books, in that, there's a the Jedi are much more. Uh, it's kind of like nink, you know, wink and a nod. Like don't have attachments, but mostly just like don't get caught. Mm-hmm. And but the implication also being that some of it kind of like it's almost like they're too lax, and that causes problems mm-hmm. because there definitely are Jedi in that who are doing dark side things because of how attached they are to each other. And so I want I part of me wonders if part of what they're setting up is that the Jedi at the time of the prequels are in kind of a, like, super fearful of attachment because of what happened 150 years ago, yeah. you know? That so. could be. I guess I just, like, I know we're way off topic from Rebels, but, like, <laughs> that that episode you're talking about when, like, Barris and Ahsoka are stuck and, like, Master Lumin- um, yeah, Luminara unduly, she's yes. like, mm-hmm. oh, well, <laughs> sucks to suck, bye. Um, and, like, right. obviously more, more caring than that. But then, like, Barris is the one who like tries to destabilize the whole Jedi and like basically commits a terrorist attack, right? So like right. maybe not having your master love you enough played into that a little yeah. bit. Right? I mean okay. she specifically says that like she she developed attachments to the clones and she couldn't bear to like just order these clones to their deaths, mm-hmm. you know? Um and yeah, ahead. like I keep thinking of like Rose from the the sequels, right? Where it's like we don't we don't win by fighting what we hate, we win by like protecting what we love. And, like, having something to love is kind of fundamental in that equation. Right. Pulling back to the show a bit. Oh, this is, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's always very connected because it's all about the attachments. One just, again, character moment that I love because at first it feels hypocritical and you realize it makes total sense. And, like, you think, you, you think about that person who wants everyone else to not sacrifice themselves, but she will herself. Like, Hera is always telling people, like leave me behind, go, you know, protect the fleet. Don't try and save the one person, you know, like you don't worry. Don't you save me. You save the whole fleet. And then when Sato is like, no, Hera, you go. She's like, no, of course I'm going to disobey your direct orders to try and save you. Which she yells at everyone else for doing exactly what she does. And I just, at first I was like, Hera, what? No. Yeah, that makes sense. She is that mom friend who's like, no one else should do this, but I'm going to do it. Do as I do, not like do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. 
Every good captain does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Any other last comments from this episode? Yeah, the Empire in this one was oh, yeah, they surprisingly effective. I felt, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. but we also did see like the hints of the political conflict, as we always do, uh, when they find. So in, in the previous episode, they had recorded Ezra talking about Garel. So they are planning to blockade Garel and hunt down the rebels at the beginning of this episode, and. Mm-hmm. Admiral Constantine is very much like, no, we can do this on our own. We don't need the Inquisitors. Has like a little spat with them. And then Agent Callus is like, no, how about if we cooperate and work together on this and then we'll catch them? Because I think he's reaching the point where the rebels have eluded him so much. He's he's kind of tired of it. <laughs> he's like, mm-hmm. no, like if we keep fighting, they're going to keep getting away. Let's work on this together. And they almost get them, you know, but they're the heroes of the story, so they escape. Right. But I really like that. Yeah, I like that, too. We talked about last time about how there's this tension between, like, the part of the Empire that respects the Force and the part of the Empire that's like, no, you know, this military, that's all just ancient religion. I like seeing that. And I also really like the, you know, it's such an interesting journey from, like, at the end of the prequels the empire doesn't just like seize power with an army. Like he goes through official political channels. Like technically what he did is constitutional in terms of like, he uses a constitutional power to undo the constitution. And then what, what you see him do, the idea being that then by the time of a new hope, they're finally like, we have the death star. We can disband the Senate. We don't, we don't need to pretend that we're legitimate anymore. And I, you know, and that's, I mean, that's like, you know, Hitler was elected, like he, Hitler's rise to power was officially done. You know, that happens in a lot of, like a lot of these horrible dictators. And I, so I like getting to see here, we're like, we're seeing more of the progression, you know, that like, there are still like political norms that they're trying to respect and trying to hold to, but more and more they're like, eh, we don't really need to do this stuff, you know? And like the governor of Lothal was overthrown because he was too sympathetic to the rebels and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I, I'm li- I like to see the gradualism of it, that it's not just, cool, you elected me emperor, here's my Death Star. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> lightning hands, lightning hands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. And I think it's like this nice little underscore of what's legal isn't always good, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think, Ricky, I think you were talking about this last week, about how, like, there's the, like, the Tarkin group who's just, who doesn't want to have any respect for these power structures anymore and just rule through fear. And then the others who were like, yeah, maybe still need the Senate and stuff like that. That wasn't me, but. <laughs> was that, take I credit. Thought, okay. I'm okay. not going to take credit. Okay, don't take credit. It's very easy <laughs> to determine that it wasn't me. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> uh, all right. So on any other last things about this episode? Uh, let's talk about a princess on Lothal. Uh which one of you would like to read this episode summary? As soon as I find it, I can do it. All right. Um, while Ezra grapples with the news about his parents, the rebels make plans with Senator Bail Organa to assure the much-needed cruise, three much-needed cruisers. Leading the mission is an agent handpicked by the senator, his daughter, Princess Leia. Leia meets up with Kanan and Ezra and plans to have the rebels quote-unquote steal her ships so as to not reveal Alderaan's support. However, their plans are thwarted when the Imperial security proves to be much more competent than expected. The trio link up with the rest of the ghost crew, rescuing Azadi from an Imperial and from an Imperial patrol in the process. Leia then inspires the crew to come up with a plan to steal the cruisers, 
With Leia distracting the guards while the Phantom provides air support and Azadi disables the gravity locks on the cruisers, the plan is a success. Uh, with the rebels managing to steal all three cruisers, Leia blames the Imperials for their quote-unquote failure to protect them. Inspired by the actions of Leia and the rebels, Azadi decides to join the rebel cause. I, I should realize also someone I was saying before about the politics, I think actually we're more in this episode because we're seeing a lot of like how Leia is still able to use her senatorial power. I love this episode. I think it's my favorite of the three. I, I, I really love getting to see Leia as a political maneuverer. You know, like she's, she's so good at bossing people around and like making the fact that she's a senator and that she has authority, like make people listen to her. Yeah. And like, Straight up lying to authority figures' faces and just being like, "What? What are you gonna do about it? They're not mm-hmm. stealing my ships. I'm not a member of the Rebel Alliance. What are you talking about?" Yeah, poor Lieutenant List, the <laughs> oh, Imperial God. officer in charge here. He mm-hmm. just gets like circles run around him. <laughs> and we've seen him before. We'll see him again later. Also getting mm-hmm. circles run around him, I believe, by other people. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like the punching bag. But Imperial. It, like it is it is shocking how like they seem to be on to, to what's up, right? They're like, okay, we're gonna lock your ships down with these gravity locks. We're gonna have them patrolled twenty four seven. Uh they're not gonna get stolen anymore. And then they just dunk yeah. on them, which is great. And that's the thing, like you said, it's not that Leia has this whole plan to begin with. It's that she's incredibly good at improvising. She's very, you know, like, this is the person who's like, all right, well, into the garbage chute we go. Like, every moment she's able to come up with a new plan. And part of the fun is, like, she's running circles around the guards. She's running circles around Kanan and Ezra as well. Like, they can't keep, they're like, what the hell? Okay, sure, (laughs) let's just go with the plan. I think she even says, like, try to keep up. (laughs) And they, and they, they try very hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that we get the um, friends of yours line in this episode. I think that's that's super fun. A nice little like call forward, I suppose. If mm-hmm. like the chronology is there, um, but yeah, like like the the plan goes south very quick, and she's just like, "Huh, dang, okay, well, I guess we'll have to stage a kidnapping. Here we go." Yeah, um, yeah so good. And we get just a probably like a top ten comedy moment in this episode so kanan uh and ezra are in their stolen stormtrooper slash cadet armor and parading Mm -hmm. around pretending to be you know troopers like leia's security team yeah yeah. and at, at one point they come across other imperial stormtroopers who have captured uh gov the governor the former governor and chopper right and they have to stage a rescue. And during the course of the rescue, gosh, like, how, how can I describe this, yeah. this moment? So, Kanan... I wonder if you're building the same moment that I think oh, I... Oh, it's the I, best. You, have it, you have it written down here. So, <laughs> okay, like, we, we stopped and rewound we this to, to watch it again. It. That's how good this So, was. so good. Oh. Um, okay, so... Kanan and Ezra, in their little clone outfits, are off in a corner with Azadi and Leia. Right. And, and then Azadi pretends, pretends to take Leia hostage yeah. and run to the ghost to escape. And as he passes Zeb, who's laying down like cover fire, yeah. he right. says, Those troopers, like those troopers over there, Kanan and Ezra, like he says, make it look good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Zeb listens, like has the the light bulb of realization, and then just has the 
the greatest smile. Oh yeah, like the biggest shit eating grin yeah. you've ever seen in your life. And then when when Kanan and Ezra run up in their trooper armor, he just lays into them <laughs> while they're saying like, "No, no, it's me. Stop, it's Kanan." Yeah, and like not that long ago, Ezra had something where he had to lay into. I think it was like Rex and and Kanan. He's like, "I don't want to do this." Zeb has no such, pre, you know, uh-huh. like, uh, like concerns. You know, he's just yeah. like, all right, I'm going to have so yeah. much fun. He lays out Kanan. Ezra runs up and shouts like, no, that's no, Kanan. That's Kanan. Yeah. And, and then Zeb says, I know. And then hits Jackson. him as well. Yeah. So the idea being is now that what everyone else sees is that these awful rebels, that the, that the good stormtroopers were trying to save Leia and also capture Azadi, mm-hmm. but the rebels stole them instead. And so, like, it's just the thing. like Leia just figures out every step of the way oh you know? yeah even to like like she steals this guy's shuttle like three different times <laughs> in the course of the episode and then at the end is like she's like well now you're gonna have to give me your shuttle it's like but and then she's like well you don't have a shuttle what's wrong with you yeah like, you got your just, own you... shuttle stolen too how incompetent are you look how blown yeah. up in this rescue yeah tent. yeah but yeah. i mean it's just and the whole time like she's maintaining this plausible deniability right where it's mm-hmm. like yeah, the stormtroopers saw Azadi kidnap her. Two other stormtroopers go after her. But, like, I don't know. I think, like, Liz has to know that something something's up. But he can't call her out on it because she's, like, a member yeah. of the Senate. And if he accuses her of being a rebel sympathizer, and he is, like, he needs to be 100% sure that that's accurate before he does yeah. that because she will bury him. Which I think is, again, like, it's such a small detail, but it really helps, like, set up a new hope. Because, like, that's why she is so used to the idea that, like, if Vader boards a ship, she can be like, this is a Republic ship. Mm-hmm. You can't do this. You know, and that, that his willingness to be like, no, you're a traitor. We're not even going to play this game anymore. Like, how much of a change that is. Yeah. Vader so- does not give any S's. <laughs> you are a traitor and a spy. So I now need to ask a question that I'm wondering if it, maybe this is an extended universe thing and maybe someone else can can write in and let us know. Maybe I'll ask Jonah, who uh, on his podcast, uh, The Archives Are Incomplete, has so much great information. Because maybe it's only explained in the extended universe, not in this universe. But her father is not King Organa, is not Prince Organa, is not any royal title. He's Maybe it's because he's a senator, but we never learn that he's a royal title of any kind. So why is she a princess? Because she's pretty. I mean, I that's her fair. her mother is royalty. Oh. Oh, like maybe she's the queen and, he, and like the husband is her consort, but he doesn't get an official title or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Okay. That'd make a lot of sense. I mean, we know that like Queen Amidala was elected, <laughs> which is just like... <laughs> so like famous elected queens. Elected kings and queens, yes. Yep. Yeah, so, so the, the royalty terms that are thrown around in this galaxy sure, yeah. far, far away are not quite what we know, but... I yeah, mean, to quickly tangent back to Boba Fett, I was kind of surprised that they call him Daimyo. And now, mm. like, apparently it's being retconned that Java was the Daimyo as well, which is a, it's a Japanese, like, military term. Right. Yeah, yeah, titles are just like, I don't know if it's, a, I mean, titles are, even in this world, titles are a little bit arbitrary, right? Like, mm-hmm. language is a, a thing we all just made up and agreed upon. Yeah, like, I, I should remember, I wanted to dig into this a little bit just on mm-hmm. the Boba Fett thing, because, yeah, I, I know Daimyo is having, like, that term from, like, you know, Japanese military and, like, samurai era and things like that. But here they're clearly using it as, like, godfather or, like, you know, a crime boss. And so I was kind of wondering if, like, the Yakuza or, like, other kind of Japanese organized crime have, like, adopted the term daimyo in some way because it mm. it it 
Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. There's something kind of a feudalistic aspect to what's happening on Tatooine. Um, but yeah, that's a whole other question. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to go off on a huge tangent about like the, the sort of Japanese influence on Star Wars, but say that for another time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, any other last comments on this episode? Um, I, I really loved Leia and Ezra's moments um, because, mm. like, Kanan points out, they're both young kids with kind of a lot thrust upon them all of a sudden, um, yeah. and they have a lot in common. Um, and Ezra's still really, like, reeling from his parents' death. He's mourning them. Mm-hmm. And she comes up to him in one of the gunners and, like, has a nice little chat yeah. off camera. Like, we don't get to see everything that she says mm-hmm. to him. But I, I like that they bonded there, and it was kind of this reminder that, like, this this is like 15 16 year old leia mm-hmm. yeah i also like there's one of these moments that's a nice thing but i worried they'd take it too far and they didn't because she says that she heard his like at first she's like how do you know me and she's like well i heard your um broadcast and it was very inspirational mm-hmm. and I remember the first time i saw it i kind of like clenched for a second because i was like don't tell me that leia joined the resistance because of ezra brought like that's gonna make yeah. his broadcast a little bit too much but it's not. you got to get the sense she was like, yeah, it was kind of like a nice, like, you know, someone's already in the fight, but then they hear a good speech and they're even more, like, kind of fired up, which, which I thought was a nice balance. You know, like, it's not why she joins the resistance, but it's still, you know, part of what motivates her. Oh, totally. I feel like Bale probably had way more to do with her joining the resistance than, than Ezra yeah. ever could. But yeah, it's nice. Spe- speaking this... of indoctrination of youth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but that, right. that yeah. moment between Ezra and Leia was really nice. And there was a continuity from there, something they said and something that like Ezra and Kanan talked about when they were on the, the tower at the end of the previous episode, which is basically that we have to fight because we can. And if we don't do it, like who, who right. will stand up for everyone? Yeah. Yeah. And that has kind of been an ongoing theme of the rebellion as well. Right. It's just like, the galaxy is in this terrible moment with the empire in control and the right. average person is not willing to fight. So, yeah. so these, these few, the brave few who do are very important. And I thought, I thought having that happen in this episode with Leia also is very important because it like, you know, this happens in modern day activist circles and I'm in all the time, but I think it's happened in activist circles, like since time immemorial. You often can get, there's often a tension of like, how much do you work within the system versus how much do you just try to flat out burn the system down? Mm-hmm. And like, I think a lot of times both of those sides can be very critical of each other. And I think generally I think movements work best when there's some like harmony between the two. And um, the movie, um, Chicago, the movie, the I think it's called Chicago 7. The Trial of about the Chicago the, 7? Yeah. yeah, it's about the Trial of the Chicago, maybe called the Trial of the Chicago 7. One of the central conflicts of that movie is between one person who's trying to, like, work within the system and one person who's trying to burn it all down. And I think in that kind of a setting, it would be very easy for people like Ezra and Kane and all them to really kind of, like, be like, Leia, what are you doing? Like, you're acting as though this is a legitimate government. You are at you have this cushy senatorial job while we're out here being shot at all the time. And instead, I think there's a real understanding of, like, Leia respects what they're doing that she can't do, and they respect what she's doing that they can't do. And it's just a really nice, like, yeah, the movement needs people both, like, inside and outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because she says explicitly, like, you need to steal these from me so that I can keep doing this. Yeah, so I can keep getting them to you, basically, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and speaking of steel, uh, so these cruisers, the Hammerhead cruisers, I love these because this, we saw it in Rogue One um, mm-hmm. in the space battle over Scarif, where one of yep. these things goes to town on a Star Destroyer, right? Just like rams into it and then pushes it into, I believe, the shield, right. the shield generator above the planet. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a nice bit of scale because in that in that huge battle, like compared to the Star Destroyer, it looks tiny, <laughs> and yet on the ground these look like big big ships, you know. So it's a nice yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah definitely. And uh, so one of the other things I really liked was the Adat walkers that Lieutenant List brings to defend the cruisers take a lot of punishment um, from mm-hmm. the ghost, which is like firing photon torpedoes, I think. Or pro proton, sorry. And that's the other star yeah. franchise. How dare yeah. you? And it takes like you know like half a dozen direct shots from it in its mm-hmm. body, and, and at one point falls over, but then stands back up and keeps fighting. And I really like that because too often we see you know the empire get clowned on, but here like this these walkers had a lot of menace mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, yeah, the threats feel threatening yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, like I, as much as I love Empire and I love the Battle of Hoth, like the one it does not make sense that like their their armor is like completely impervious to even the blasters of these speeders, unless you like trip it. Yeah, and then it's on the ground and somehow their armor doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Well, but speaking yeah. of, like dynamite, that's where you store. Speaking of that, Kanan uses his lightsaber to just slice through its legs. Yeah, in this episode. Right. It's like Luke. Why didn't you just do that? <laughs> you didn't have to throw that grenade. Yeah. Which, yeah. funny. I don't. I don't think that 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 grenade. That grenade should like that show up in Star Wars video games all the time, but it's never used anywhere else in the prequels. Except Luke has one to throw into the body of this uh, uh, at at. Or was that the Chicken right. Walker? Anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. On like, don't they throw those are ATSTs? Oh yeah, yeah. But the, don't they throw a uh, grenade in there on Endor? No, we're getting it. Doesn't matter. Right in the comments. They might. Let us they know might. about all uses of grenades. All right. Star Wars. Uh, episode thirteen. Speaking of uh, Book of Boba Fett, we're getting um, this episode gives some great more backstory and history on what's happening on Mandalore. Um, someone talked to us about the episode thirteen, the Protector <laughs> of Concord Dawn. Yeah, I got all jazzed up, but that's definitely not it. Uh, episode thirteen, the Protector of Concord Dawn. With the Empire tightening its cordon around Lothal, the Rebels look for a new smuggling route. Hera and Sabine head out to the world of Concord Dawn to request safe passage from the Protectors, the Mandalorian faction that controls the world. However, the Protectors reveal that they have sided with the Empire and immediately attack. Hera and Sabine manage to escape, but Hera is critically wounded. Kanan and Sabine return to Concord Dawn, with Kanan still wanting to negotiate with the Protectors, and Sabine wanting to get revenge for Hera. They discover the Protector's leader, Fen Rao, is being bribed by the Empire. Kanan meets with Rao, revealing that Rao had saved his life during the Clone War. Meanwhile, Sabine attempts to sabotage the Protector's fighters, but is caught. She reveals to the Protectors that she is from House Visla. Dun 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 <laughs> and challenges Rao to single combat. Working together, Kanan and Sabine capture Rao, and he agrees to allow the rebels safe passage through Concord Dawn. 
Yeah, so let me just first uh, name the connections we have to Boba Fett, because there's a bunch of them. Uh, so anyone who hasn't seen that again, if you want to skip forward like a minute or so. Uh, first of all, Concord Dawn sounds familiar. The planet that the people who follow the way, you know, which we find out uh, in Boba Fett are kind of really like an offshoot group of like kind of religious fanatics who hold on to a they're kind of like the Amish or like, you know, some other kind of like sect of that, that most of history has passed by on Mandalore. They're all from Concordia. Like they all went to a moon called Concordia. So I think Concord Dawn is clearly supposed to be a colony that is connected to that in some way. Well, that's, uh, the other... it's different. I, I made the same mistake when I saw this episode. Mm. It's actually, Concordia is a moon of Mandalore. And right. that's where Pre Vizsla was the governor. I think they're just saying the naming, though. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying the fact that like one is called Concordia and the other is called Concord Dawn. Yeah. I don't think that's <laughs> coincidence. coincidence. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, it's totally legit. Yeah, it's good to, good to clarify. But also, as you said, that it's it's the Vizlas who uh, went and sort of like took Concordia, and they were like the people leading this fight to like keep Mandalore pure and like Mandalore from the Mandalorians and keep our warrior culture. And that's like you know, so when Sabine says, "I am House Vizsla," that's what it's that same house, which is also the same house that later in Boba Fett, the, the guy who challenges uh, Mando and says like, the dark saber should be mine. It's because I'm a Vizsla. So like all these pieces are, are tying into each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're very confused, it's very confusing because it ties <laughs> over all these properties before the next Mandalorian season comes out, which I'm guessing will probably be a lot about like what happens on Mandalore and what should happen on Mandalore. We'll do a whole episode just on, like, the backstory of the Mandalorians, just to kind of, like, tie all these pieces together. Uh, all right, so with that, let's get into this episode itself. What'd you think? You liked it a lot. I did like it a lot. I mean... Yeah. Fan Rao is awesome. Yeah. As a character, uh, fantastic voice acting by Kevin McKidd, giving him kind of, like, seems a little Irish, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, some sort of accent. Yeah, reminded me Celtic of in um, some way. of uh, Sean Bean. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I can see that. Except he doesn't die. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <Yet. laughs> yeah, who knows? No, we don't know. We don't know his fate. But um, the actor Kevin McKidd has actually come out publicly and said that he would love to revisit this character in one of the live action shows. So, mm, nice. Some possibilities there. The the fighters the. Um, that the Mandalorians are flying in mm-hmm. are kind of wacky, but they look cool. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that you have to like forgive in science fiction is like not everything's going to be practical. But, but these fighters yeah. have like this weird. It's like a gyroscope almost yeah. with a cockpit is stationary and like the wings yeah. slash guns spin around the outside. But and like... they shoot while they're spinning. Yeah. Which looks really cool. It looks really cool. It but It looks also... amazing. Like, the aiming of it would make no sense yeah. whatsoever. You just need like a broad spray, and also like it's space. You don't need to be aerodynamic or yeah. anything. But yeah. I, I love true. I love it when they start spinning and shooting. So it's, cool. it's just like yeah, you'd love to have that. You would love to have that toy. I think. Yes, oh, yeah. definitely. Very definitely. toyetic. Yeah. yeah, that's the word. I I love Fenrao because <laughs> to me it's very easy to think everyone's either the Empire because they're evil, make evil pants. Or they're the rebels because they're good. 
Fenn is just the guy who's like, I just want to take care of my people and keep our noses down and not get killed. And like, he doesn't work for the Empire out of ideological reasons. He's just like, they're paying me and like, this will kind of keep my planet alive, my people alive. And then, you know, at the end, he agrees to work with them in part because they have something over him. But kind of, I mean, he could kind of walk, you kind of get the sense that he, it's like a very grudging respect and he doesn't, he feels trapped and he doesn't want to feel trapped. But I also don't think he makes this deal unless he has some sympathy for where they're coming from. The Empire? Or the Rebels? No, uh, when he okay. makes it, by the end, he's made a deal yes. with the Rebels. Sorry, yeah, yeah, um, Just trying to clarify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. The, the, the deal with the Rebels, or, pff, and now I'm getting all mixed up. The deal with the Empire seems very much a, I would like you to not take control of Concord Dawn, and if this is how we're going to get that done, yeah. cool. Goodbye. In that regard, it's very much Londo Carosian yeah, making totally. his deal with the Empire. Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a great example. Yeah, um, and then like I I do think had um, Kanan not brought up the like we were on the same side once, he he might not have been as easily convinced, right? Like mm-hmm. especially learning that um, Sabine is from Clan or House Vizsla, Clan Ren House Vizsla, um, right? Like I don't think he had any sympathies towards her at all. Yeah. But it was the like Canaan's we used to we used to fight together, don't you remember? And also the once the Empire the Empire is not gonna leave you alone forever. Right. Yeah. So the Battle of Maigito. Okay, here you go. Are we gonna talk about that? You've been yeah, waiting. I mean that's Kate's reference. <laughs> Back into the clone. I mean, these episodes especially are just so dripping with like other connections that let's let's make those connections. Right. So Kanan comes in and has some soup with Ben Rao, and they they chat about old times. Uh, but but Kanan says, "You saved me and my master Depa Bilabo at the Battle of Maigito." I was like, "Oh, like I don't remember this from the Clone Wars." So it turns out this was not actually in the clone wars cartoon but it appears in the kanan comic book series uh, which i guess came out like at the same time as this episode so they kind of like put it out in parallel to introduce the story of fenrao in the comic book and then you get to see him on the show and so like that's what kanan is referencing uh, okay battle of maigito but I, I feel like we've been to Maigito at some point in the Clone Wars, right? Because that name feels familiar. It, it's possible that it gets mentioned or there's like a battle there. Because Kanan says the third battle of Maigito. Mm-hmm. But this specific incident that is being referenced uh, with Fan and Kanan was, not, was from the comic books. Right. And this is where things get interesting for you or us, I guess. I don't know people i still i still know magic the gathering but there's a there's a connection to magic the gathering matthew hmm. the <laughs> writer of the comic books is greg weissman who actually also worked on season one of rebels do you recognize that name i'm, I'm surprising you i'm ambushing you here i'm terrible at names so people can't get to magic now who is that greg weissman is wrote the novel for War of the Spark, Forsaken, which was somewhat panned by fandom due to its its use of the, the term decidedly mm-hmm. male. 
But it's just apologized. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, like, I, <laughs> I, 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 I don't hold anything against him. But, I like, while I was, like, backtracking through Wikipedia on all of this, I was like, wait a minute, that name looks familiar. And then, boom, like, it, it came out. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, I just did quick looking. Um, so, Maguito is mentioned in uh, Re- Revenge of the Sith. It's, like, one of the, I, I think at one point, like, Yoda is talking about, like, you know, you know, Kenobi will go here. Someone else will go to Maguito, uh, and and it we in that kind of like um, montage of Order sixty six. One of the planets that one of the Jedi is killed on is Maguito. Yeah. Oh, so uh, yeah, I believe Kiati Mundi is taken down yeah. on Maguito. Yeah. It's also isn't yes. it's where the little Irish lemurs live, right? From Clone Wars. No, that's a different that's a different planet. That's a different planet. Gosh darn it. Yeah. What planet is that, that? that? That The whole point is that that's a planet that's like, you wouldn't fight three battles for that planet. That's a real like small, like, you know, no one cares about it place. Huh. Um, I like that we get to learn more about the Mandalorians. I like, I like getting to see, like to this point, I don't think we've really had Sabine really like claim this history much. It's been like, yeah, you know, I get this cool armor. I have this family, but watching her like invoke the code and being like, you know, you get the sense that it's not just that she's getting revenge for Hera. It's also that she, like, has very personal feelings about mm. these Mandalorians. And, like, I, I love that she invokes a code that's supposed to be a fight to the death. And Kanan's like, we don't have to do this. But then what she does is, like, shoot his hand to make him drop the weapon. Mm-hmm. Which, like, so she's like, eh, there's alternatives. To I'm going to do this duel, but I don't, ha- I don't have to kill him. Yeah. And like, she asks Kanan, like, just trust me on this. And he mm-hmm. doesn't. But, like, she ends up, yeah, revealing her plan. Um, her her associations with the Mandalorians don't seem to be like in the, the most positive. Like the way that um, when they they say like, "Oh, she, you're from the the Vizlas." Um, well, they name drop Death Watch. Yeah, they name drop Death Watch, and she's like, "No, nah, that's my mm-hmm. mom, not me." Um, right, kind of hinting at like she's not about that. She was a bounty right. hunter for a bit. She acknowledges it. And, like, she knows about Mandalorian culture, but isn't necessarily, like, clung on to it, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think using this, like, using their, their knowledge against them, using her knowledge of them against them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think there's I mean, definitely clearly setting up a lot more, you know. Uh, Fenn, I think, is going to be a, a character. Uh, her, her connection to the Mandalorians mm-hmm. is going to be something a lot. Yeah, Another well, thing you, I noted... Go ahead. You can't just say that you're from house Vizsla and nothing <laughs> like, happens yeah because that's one of those names like when they name drop that in book of boba fett mm-hmm. um i see i keep forgetting his name and calling him Pat, post Vizsla. Paz? yeah i know <laughs> Is it Paz I, yeah Vizsla? yeah because there's pre Vizsla. i think yeah, yeah. i think it's Pat yeah. Paz Vizsla. we call him post Vizsla. and, and yeah. like i had the same reaction like oh you didn't just say Vizsla yeah. because that name has so much meaning you know, if you mm-hmm. watch the Clone Wars, you know all about Pre Vizsla and Death Watch, and how that that leads to so much trouble on Mandalore. Yeah, um, a, a deeper lore thing is that Ter Vizsla was the Mandalorian Jedi who originally crafted the light, uh, the dark saber. Right. Which we've so seen it, a lot. it's been in her family for quite some time. Yeah. yeah. One other thing that I noticed, and I maybe we've seen it before in in this show, but I don't think we, it it hadn't hit me as viscerally before, is you know, uh, Hera leads Phoenix Squadron, the the fighter squadron she took over at the end of last season under 
uh, conditions that uh, uh, Riki might have some eyebrows raised about. Uh, and and I mean, here, like, a couple of them get killed in some hard fighting. Mm-hmm. And I think we've, we've seen other, like, members of their, like, allies of them die. But here we get we, we get the shots of, like, their ships being shot and, like, the ships breaking up around them very much the way that happens in A New Hope, the first Star Wars movie. And you hear the pirates, like, screaming, like, as they're dying. And I was like, that's – I mean, they're red shirts. We don't know of any idea who they are. It's not like we were connected to them. But still, I was like, that's that that's some intensity in terms of, like, watching people who are on our side get killed. Mm-hmm. Well, even, like, Hera. Like, Hera is messed up. Like, her ship comes in, mm-hmm. basically half of it, right? And she's, like, unconscious in the cockpit. And we get to see, like, from Sabine's, Sabine's viewpoint of, like, Hera's limp body inside the cockpit. And she's, like, relaying this information to Kanan, right? Like, it's quite visceral. Um, which, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's probably the height of the violence you can get away with at a Y7-rated mm-hmm. show. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it makes Sabine's, like, intense anger and, like, intense need for revenge make a little more sense i guess mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's when you have a cartoon with war and battle depicted i think we've come a long way since the days of like gi <laughs> joe when literally any time a vehicle exploded you saw the pilot jump out before or like so parachute. many parachutes yeah, yeah parachute when the fighter gets destroyed Meanwhile, for me, like, this reminds me a lot more of Japanese anime because Gundam <laughs> has a tradition, a long tradition, of any time a mobile suit is destroyed, you have to get a shot of the pilot, like, screaming, like, as the explosion engulfs him. And so, like, oh, this wow. really reminded me of that. Yeah. And I think it's an effective storytelling thing here because... You have to feel that emotion of these pilots dying to understand what Sabine is going through and why she is so intent on doing what she wants to do. Yeah, and so against uh, Kanan's, like, let's just talk nicely to them approach, right? Yeah, totally. And and then, like, when Kanan drops his story, then you understand what he was trying to do. He he had a lot of respect for this man, Fen Rao, and for saving his life and for the way he fought in the clone war mm-hmm. and, and wants to try to recruit him. Yeah. I think they, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Matthew. I, oh, uh, I think also with Fen Rao, there's this weird thing. Maybe I, I'm reading too much into this, but I think in a weird way, we also get lo- to learn more about how Fen like is part of this warrior culture that has ideas of like honor and like you, how you're supposed to fight people because, you know, think about it. The whole point is these people want to come and land on his planet. Once he realizes that they're not with the Empire, that they're with the rebels, it would be the easiest thing in the world for him to let them land, let them all get out of their ships, and now that they're surrounded by Mandalorians, be like, okay, now we're going to gun you down. Mm -hmm. Instead, he's like, okay, the moment I've discovered you're my enemy, now we're going to move into combat while we're in the skies, and you have your ships, and we have ours, and this is going to be much harder. And at first I was like, why are you so dumb? Just let them land. And they're like, no, okay, it's it's an honorable warrior thing, which... I still think is very dumb, but like if you're into the honorable warrior thing, which Mandalorians clearly are, like that's the thing you would do. Sure. So, yeah, totally. Yeah, and he's a pilot. Like he, he, yeah, he. I think he wants to have this dogfight 
to yeah. display his his fighter pilot supremacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. Any other last things about this episode or the the episodes in general that we talked about? I have like a couple of weird nitpicky things about this episode. Go for it. One was like Kanan's reaction to Hera being so gravely injured, which seemed underwhelming to me. Um, like Sabine seemed much more upset about it. And then, I mean, like, I think we can maybe chalk this up to Jedi upbringing, right? But like, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't let those feelings get a hold of you. I, I mean, I guess, I guess for my take on it and, and tell you may well seem differently is what Kanan is able to do is to separate his concern about her and like wanting her to be okay from the desire for revenge against the people who hurt her. Yeah. That that, where he's kind of calling Sabine out is like, because she wants revenge. But even like when she's in like the med bay and they're talking to like the little med droid dude, um, like Sabine's the one who's kind of like rushing up to her side as soon as like, he's like, Mm. she's stabilized. I've stabilized her. She's going to be okay. And Kanan's like standing at the side and being like, okay, good. Good to know. Now let's go have a chat with this guy. I don't know. It just, it feels a little disconnected and like, I think that's on purpose, but it's, I don't know, a bit sad, mm-hmm. especially since, like, I don't know, I just want them to, like, hug each other and be in love. Yeah, yeah it's possible that Kanan is suffering a bit from just, like, plot myoptics. Sure. Where we know that Hera is going to survive this, and maybe, like, the the medical droid has told him that already, so he's he's a little less concerned. Whereas Sabine, I think her emotions are as much about Hera's injury as about the Mandalorians and yeah. like her perceive perceiving them as being treacherous mm-hmm. and, and taking that kind of personally. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. My other two that things one's... are like, Oh yeah. <laughs> she pointed this out. And I was like, Oh, okay. So the first one is they, they changed like the physics of Hera's hair tails in this episode and they're so bouncy now. Oh, my goodness. Um, even, like, I think everybody's hair physics changed because, like, Kanan's ponytail is even, like, a little bit more shaky. That I cannot confirm. But the other thing is, and this is, like, definitely a me problem, and I have no, like, agenda with saying this, but, like, Kanan touches Sabine a whole bunch in this episode. And it's always, hmm. like, like draping his arm across her shoulder or, like, moving her by grabbing her shoulders or even, like, grabbing her leg to stop her from walking forwards. It's just, like, just a thing that I noticed because, like, I don't know. It makes me super anxious when people touch me without, like, asking first or, like, get in my little bubble. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, Kanan yeah, no, is being fair. super handsy. And not in the, like, any sort of, like, romantic, like, oh, my wife is indisposed at the moment right nothing mm-hmm. like that at all it was just like weird ha- to me yeah just pointing that out <laughs> yeah because i'm trying to think like does he do that with ezra a lot i don't know and like maybe i just like i never noticed it with ezra but it could be because ezra's not a woman and i'm not like a young boy right like i feel like mm-hmm. a little more connected with like sabine being touched by an old an older man than like yeah no i think it's ezra. really good yeah, and again, like, not... I love Kanan to death. I'm not trying to, like, imply anything. Please don't email me. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> it was just, like, a weird thing I noticed. And especially because, like, it, it, because it is a cartoon, nothing in their voices changed to match their body language. And I think, like, that mm-hmm. was just a little bit... Like, some little animated animation things that I noticed in this episode more than others. 
That's fair. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, and I, I when she pointed it out, I, I saw that and I was like, oh, that is weird. And I think it's something to watch for because if it is deliberate, I could see a couple of possible things, right? Like we talked about previously, Kanan is the dad. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Sabine is older than Ezra, but still younger than Kanan and yeah. Hera. So and she gets she is still, Yeah, she is kids, still yeah. one of their kids. Yeah. So could it be Kanan being overprotective of his kids? Or could it be Kanan recognizing Sabine's anxiousness, over-anxiousness, to, to jump into action in this episode and trying to, like, literally physically hold her back? You know, like, hold me back, mm. hold me back type yeah. of thing. So I, I don't know. Like, I would definitely want to compare it with other, his interaction with other characters and then see, see what the animators have done. Yeah. But it was yeah. interesting <laughs> once definitely, you see it. definitely. All right, I think is that a good place to wrap up? Yeah, I think we went a little long. I'm sorry. Totally fine. There's so much to talk about, plus Boba Fett. We'll skip the promo stuff. I'll just say to people, as always, would love to hear your thoughts. Um, if you want to write in, give us your thoughts on these episodes. What did you like? What did you not like? Do you think Sarah's thought uh, there is completely off the wall? Email us. It is. I'll probably read it to Sarah, but, you know, won't have to bother it on air. Um, but, yeah, whatever you think, let us know. Uh, you can find us by just going to the website, theethicalpanda.com. There you'll find our email, our Facebook, our Twitter. We've been getting more comments recently. It's great. We're start reading out a lot more. Love to get that feedback. Love to have you as part of the conversation. So on behalf of myself, Sarah, Riki, thank you all so much, and have a great day. Hondo fanfics. Hondo fanfics. Yeah. I was Chopper. Not a lot of Chopper. There was, there was like a great Chopper being like so reluctant. We didn't even talk about Chopper. Oh, there's so much. (laughs) 